0: It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Anna Peach of Squash and Awe Farm in Waimea, Hawaii, on the Big Island in upcountry, which for those uninitiated is around 2,700 feet. Uh, They have been going through about 17 years of drought, so she's doing this in not really easy conditions. She provides many of the island's restaurants with winter squash, and she's mentoring other gardeners and farmers to do the same. She also produces interesting DIY videos on how to fix your own car. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you finally, Anna. Welcome to the Garden Nerd podcast. Thank you, Christy. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yay. So we met each other here at the Heirloom Expo. We did. And, and I fell in love with you immediately because you are a nerd like me and you have a really great story about how you came to farming in Hawaii mm-hmm. and growing squash.
1: Can mm-hmm. you share that with us? Sure. Um, well, my family were farmers for multiple generations. I'm roughly on one side of the family, sixth generation, seventh generation on the other. Really? Yeah. And um, I was a generation... generation... Generation that was really steered away from farming, Um, but uh, I've always enjoyed being outdoors, working on the land, nature as a whole. So when I returned to Hawaii, I had an opportunity to garden, Um, and this is coming on the heels of my time in New York City, where I was volunteering. At the uh, the Brooklyn Grange. Um, oh which, wow! Yeah, so rooftop. I was composting on a roof. Um, oh man! Yeah, it was the Queens Compost Initiative. It was known as at the time. I was volunteering there. When I got back to Hawaii, uh, of course, Hawaii is a very expensive place to live. Land ownership is out of the question for many food producers. Mm-hmm. I decided let's try to let's try to farm like they do in New York City, mm-hmm. and use a small scale. And just be very purposeful with your actions, really think about everything you're doing and treat it like it's a roof. <laughs> and so how big is your farm? A quarter acre. A quarter acre? Yeah. That's not yeah. very big. No, what people's is... gardens are bigger than that.
0: Right. I mean in square feet, what is th- I don't even know what that is in square feet. No, it's tiny. I should do it, the math. It is, I should too. <laughs> <laughs> I should. But a quarter acre, that's that's about a city lot, but you know, if you're using mm-hmm. every square inch of it, maybe. Mm-hmm like mm-hmm. a, a regular
1: house law. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And so what are you growing there? Well, I grow, of course, primarily winter squash. Then what I also do is sort of like um, part of, I kind of, pick and choose different methods of what works and creating that balance for me. So in some ways it is like French intensive Mm -hmm. because it is every square inch. Um, Big fan of lima beans. I've reinterpreted the three sisters using lima beans because they do very well in Hawaii certain varieties of squash, like the land races, become perennial in Hawaii, and so do lima beans. Ooh. Okay. W- we need to talk about land races. Sure. Because you had,
0: you went through a process of finding what worked mm-hmm. on that land, right. and right. tell that story.
1: Right. Um, well, of what worked, as far as um, what worked on the land, I looked at it as troubleshooting squash. Uh, we were, I was looking online about to me, it's like squash is so delicious. It used to be in Hawaii when I lived there previously, mm-hmm. which was um, six to ten years earlier. Then when I came back, I couldn't find the local squash anymore, and it used to be everywhere. Mm. And for me, it was a bit of a mystery of where did this vegetable go. So what I ended up doing is trying to source whatever one I could find. Mm-hmm. And what, when I would talk to people, I'd ask, okay, what it, what is not working for you? And they started listing different uh, different varieties common you know like say zucchini we had we got hit for zucchini we got hit for yellow crookneck. we got hit with acorn squash right. we got hit with spaghetti squash and what i decided to do as i was starting to get this list is to go to the farmers and say okay i'll work for you for for a day for free mm-hmm. if you tell me why you're not growing this crop And although they didn't put me to work, they did talk to me about it. And what I did is I just then I took all that information and I tried to figure out what those crops that were the varieties that were failing, what they had in common. Mm -hmm. And then I worked from there. And what did they have in common? They were all in the same species. Were they pepos? Mm-hmm. Oh, so you
0: went to the moschatas and the... Right, mm-hmm.
1: right. All right. of those, the exactly. mixes and the exactly. angiospermas. yeah. Okay. So I, I noticed that they were all... Um, and that's where Baker Creek came in because I found out through their catalog. They were listing at a species level. Mm-hmm. And I just ran it and I thought, okay, now the one that I found that was more the... I considered a wild type. Mm-hmm looked considerably different than those. The only complaint people had about the more local type was it was hard to find seed Uh and it was inconsistent. You'd get one that was really tasty and then one that totally wasn't. Uh So it was back and forth. One that would be um, really good firm flesh, great flavor, great color, and then the opposite. So um, it was something that I felt like perhaps I could take it on as my own. I mean, importing 97%. That's crazy. That's what it's, the island does? It does now. They import 97% of their yep. food
0: or squashes? No, of, of, squash, of squash.
1: We're around 90% overall Jeez. for our food. That's not reliable. That's not sustainable. No, it's not. And um, 97% of squash, for me, that was a, a number that was just too big. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if I can even lower that number at all, just—and I'm not looking statewide, just in my area— because all I knew of where I was growing, all I knew that it was, as I researched, in ancient times, it was uh, used for gourds by the native Hawaiian people. Mm-hmm. The same plot. And that more recently, uh, maybe one to two generations ago, it was... In Hawaii, we say kabocha. Kabocha is a Japanese word for all pumpkin. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Because there are kabocha squashes. That's what everybody associates with that. Right. And that ended up being part of... The problem was actually about <laughs> linguistics and how like, we were using. Yeah, I need work.
0: a kabocha squash. But right, like, like, you right. mean something different than what they mean. Exactly, they meant. exactly, Got Christy.
1: Because kabocha squash that we, as we know commercially, mm-hmm. is I call them the two-pound cannonballs that you see in the grocery stores. Yes. Okay. It's in a different species than what we have in Hawaii, which is in moshata. Uh huh it's in a different species so what ended up happening is we got a new pest in as it turns out of course new pest came in with those imported vegetables Uh. presumably from florida they Mm. think probably in a cucumber it's called pickle worm and it wiped out the entire state wow so when you looked at egg statistics you could see that we were doing well and then all of a sudden 97 percent was shipped in and i had that question in my mind of why Why did that happen? What's so different about 2007? Yeah. And what it was, it was pickle worm. So what did you do? Well, I, you know, there's, I like buying seeds. So I thought, well, this is a really (laughs) good excuse to buy seeds. So what I did is I sat down. Yes.
0: Everyone wants that excuse. Right,
1: right. So I thought, okay, I wanted to find out if I could see other varieties, like this wild type, like what its relatives were, Mm -hmm. if they'd also succeed. That was kind of my theory is that, my theory is that we have, because what was happening in, in and when I say old Hawaii, I mean like anything from like even 50 years ago. What would happen is that they would have their kabocha, they'd eat it, and everybody had like a compost pile. It wasn't called that, but in their backyard. The pile of food. The rice. pile. And then you'd get this amazing kabocha vine, All as right. they called it, you know, this pumpkin vine growing out of that pile. Mm-hmm. And it would just smother a whole grassy area in the backyard, mm-hmm. and everybody had that. Oh. Okay, but then what happened is it only took one, really, one generation that suddenly wasn't doing that anymore. They were going to different. Um, they were taken out of the garden and out of the farms, and they were working long hours. You know, in hospitality mainly in right. Hawaii, um, they weren't coming home and farming and gardening. And then what they started doing is buying the imported ones. And now with that being a different species, what was happening is the imported ones, when they threw it into the compost pile, it would grow sometimes. Sometimes it wouldn't grow because the seeds were immature, because the squash was immature when it was harvested. Mm -hmm. And you get the sickly plant. Right. And it's amazing how quickly... When you stop growing a land race, meaning something that has adapted to the specific conditions of that area. Right, and cross pollinated with other with all of the mm-hmm. different varieties
0: cross-pollinated, mm-hmm. making one like super native right. variety. Right. Kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So you ended up with well, you eventually did find squashes that worked and mm-hmm. outwitted the cucumber the, I mean, sorry, the pickle worm?
1: Uh Yeah, well, what I ended up doing is planting all of them that looked similar, that were, and they all turned out to be within Moshata, within species Moshata. Um, Went through, there's uh, several, like Yokohama is one. Um, Mm -hmm. There, um, Chiriman is another one. Those are both from Japan. I mean, it, it is just how we get kind of, you know how it is. It's like peeling an onion. It's layer upon layer. And research I looked at it, kind of the obvious. Okay, I had a Japanese class back in business school, and I knew that, okay, we are in Hawaii, we are using the Japanese word. So, to me, it made perfect sense that the lineage of that plant would probably be Japan. You know, Japan would be the place of origin. Absolutely. So... Then I started looking online Library of Congress images. Wow. 18, About 1880. Yeah, you know, you that's, how, that's how I think. I'm a, I'm a good researcher. <laughs> You're a garden um, nerd. Yeah. I think so late at night looking <laughs> up the Library of Congress. Um, <laughs> and they it. had beautiful um, prints from Japan, 1880. Interesting thing to me. One was very deeply lobed, dark skin like the type I was working with. Uh-huh. And the other one looked like the other type I was working with, more pear shaped more of a butternut. Oh yeah. Golden. Okay? Yeah. Now those are still the two that are cons- you know, and that was what something like 1860, 1880 in yeah. Japan. Oops. So that's incredible. And you've gotten to
0: the point where <clears throat> you're growing them on this land that you don't do you, you don't own this land, Mm-mm. so you're no, renting no. it. No.
1: Well, that's it. I wanted to try to see how little I could spend. And do this because when you are self funded for your research, <laughs> I decided to. Now, this sounds like a very bad idea, and I, I would have rethought it. Um, but to, I'm so glad you did it though. <laughs> well, to um fund your own research by being a farmer, which is not always uh, yeah. considered a high, you know, yeah, they say hiding. if you want to. If you
0: want to make a fortune in farming, uh, start with one, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) Exactly, start with, that's right, that's right.
1: So that's along the way, you know, of course, uh, looking at that, it actually worked quite well for me because it uh, created this sort of intimacy with the chefs where they got to know the product really well. I got to sort of be that interpreter for the chefs Mm -hmm. so that I got to know it really well. Um, I mean, I was eating squash every single day so that I could... You must have gotten so sick of it. God, I didn't. <laughs> really? That's the thing. What I love about squash, there's lots of things, but one of them is that it, everything from, you know, any course you want to make, you can use squash. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different varieties, sweet, savory. Mm-hmm. And the seeds, the oh. seeds, right? I love right. roasting the seeds, right? So I, I, actually never tired of it. And by, by just working with that methodology, it allowed me to understand flavor, and to be that bridge. And also because of what I was is I was the quality control for the chefs. The chefs wouldn't trust this farmer that was you know locally growing uh-huh. unless I could guarantee that it tasted good. That it wasn't going to be like it was before, where one would be good and one would be watery. Oh, okay. So you needed that consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and that consistency was something that I thought, well, that's that's what we need to stabilize. So they trust us again. That's because, good. Because yeah, it had become kind of like a wild type. Yeah.
0: So how do you deal with cross-pollination on your quarter acre? Because mm-hmm. pumpkins, right. squashes, they cross-pollinate readily, mm-hmm. especially within the same, I mean, within the same species. Mm-hmm. So usually I'll grow a pepo, a moshata, a mixta, mm-hmm. an angiosperma in the same garden, and they don't cross-pollinate. Right. But if you're growing different varieties of moshata, they're going to cross-pollinate. Right. How do you deal with that?
1: Right. Uh, well, in a small place, I'm doing more than one thing. Okay. Uh, so what I'm doing is some is for a food production. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now those ones are, cro- you know, they're crossed. But I pull the weak ones immediately. Okay. I don't allow... The, I, and it's hard. No, but you're you do. good. You, That's have good. To you have to. Because you're working small. Um, obviously, I mean, it's just me because you couldn't grow like I do with more than one person. Mm. It's really... Um, People tease me because, I, you know, too, I do ballroom dance. And it, it has allowed me to be very agile. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're in around those vines, and there's the pumpkins are very dark-colored, and they're hidden in under leaves and all. Um, you couldn't really have a team do what I do on that size because you'd be breaking the vines. Right. And especially vines in Hawaii that become perennial, you need to keep them going for some time. So do you have perennial squash mm-hmm. vines? hmm Yep. Wow. What does that look like? Well, uh, I do a heavy pruning. Mm -hmm. Um, What happens is you get this spike in production, and then production drops. Mm -hmm. While it's in that dropping phase, so the first year you get your spike, and then after for the second year it drops. While it's in the dropping phase, I already have other plants that are going. Mm -hmm. And then, like, say if I have a variety that's not doing well at all, it all gets pulled. Okay. And it is. It's tough love. Yeah. But when you have crossing um, with those ones, because people obviously they want the seeds from it and you try to explain to them well this is not a seed pumpkin well they're still going to put that in their compost yeah so what i'm also doing is a quality control so that i can't guarantee for them that okay that it may turn out um more deeply lobed it may turn out orange it may turn out black because as you stabilize it you still get some of these treats come out but I can guarantee quality. And quality, as far as flavor, mm-hmm. to me, it doesn't really matter whether it's orange or or, or this dark green right. black. I call it the Hawaiian black kabocha. Yeah. Doesn't matter to me. But that quality, um, I tend to breed for a small seed cavity. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of my seed-saving friends get mad at me because they're like, you you should want as many seeds as possible. Tiny tiny little seed cavity. But, yeah, the small seed cavity is a different way to be efficient um, for me because I do all my own deliveries as well. In Um, your car. And it's sold per (laughs) pound, and I drive a very tiny car. Um, But it is also for the, the chefs, too. When you have a very small seed cavity, you have this wonderful, beautiful, big slice. Yeah that you can put on a, you know, on a plate, on a plate. and you, yeah, it's just plates so beautifully. Yeah. Um, so back to the cross-pollination, uh-huh. how sure, do you, how sure. do you prevent that? Because I know I oh, keep okay. interjecting yeah. more no, questions. No, no, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's, um, with the cross-pollination, um, like I said, some of them are crossing and uh-huh. that's okay. I'm still pulling out the weak ones. The ones that I'm saving specifically for seed, um, because of course, isolation doesn't work as far as with squash unless you have a lot of, a lot land, of land and you yeah. don't know what anybody else is growing around you yeah um and we'll get to that too okay. about how i've dealt with that mm-hmm. uh, but as far as uh with squash you need to just study your vine study your vine study your blooms, so that you're comfortable with you understand which one is a male which one's a female mm-hmm. okay and once you i mean it's The female has has the 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 young fruit. It's the the ovaries, right? Exactly. Exactly right. So once you understand that, you also need to... And sometimes, I mean, I always recommend that people just study it, look at it. Um, I use masking tape. You tape up the flower. I tape it. um, And then, you know, for me, that works the best. I usually use about three males to every female. Oh, so you're...
0: Interspe- no it's not interspecies you're you're your, it's called good
1: biodiversity well, yes right yes and sometimes it's what they consider salt we consider selfers where it's from that plant because the males are on the same plant, the as same as the plant yeah. and sometimes it's on the neighboring plant that is the same okay so uh, two different things happening but what gets a little bit tricky is you need to identify when the pollen is ready, when the bloom is going to open, Mm -hmm. when it flushes with color, the moment it even opens a teeny bit, it's too late because you get tiny, tiny little flies come in there. Ants can come in there. Uh, Okay. So you need, um, and if you tape it too soon, no pollination. Well, what I do is, um, I tape it shut because we have a lot of very tiny flies and crawling insects Mm -hmm. that if you tight it, some people tie it shut. Um, they would still get in. So okay. I just take tape around the upper half mm-hmm. of the bloom. Mm-hmm. And then when it's time to pollinate, I tear that off. Then I have the males. I use them like a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. I peel off. Peel off the, the, yep. Only the stem is left. I mean, uh, only
0: the... The t- stamen? The stamen, yep. yes, is left. Yep. I know, it's a pistol stamen. I, I, I had I a trick it? to remember that. No, yeah, we we'll get it. Gosh, we're going to have to... We're going to have to research that. We're so t- <laughs> we just do it. We don't know the lingo, right? Right. But the male parts, you pull all the petals like, away, and right. you've got
1: the, right. the male right. parts that have the pollen on it. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And then you... Yeah. You do the, the pollen transfer. You can yeah. use it as a... And then immediately, what I use, quick work, <laughs> um, I always say after the dew dries is the best time to do it. You don't want to do it too early when... Um, there's too much moisture in the air. Um, I, I try to do about 9, 9.30 in the morning before it gets too hot. Too much heat will kill the pollen. You get one day, yeah. one, day one day, not even that. It's really it's like morning. morning. It's really like yeah. morning. It's the morning, yeah. Um, and that's why the bees are so active with squash in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that's your time. That's your window of opportunity. Right. So, And then you do the transfer. And then what I do is I tape it shut again. And then that bloom after a day or two will fall off and you need to make sure that you mark that squash sometimes what i do is i take um, just simply a lunch bag like a brown lunch bag and i write it all on there and i cover the squash and i do multiple ways of marking it i may tie a ribbon around it i may put a steak i've used um I've used blocks of wood underneath as well uh-huh. that have Writing the number because it will grow right on that block yeah. and that block serves another purpose and that is not only to mark it but to keep um, keep it up off the ground so it doesn't get any drill holes in from any like our ground. Then holes. it's blemished, and the well, restaurants
0: don't want them as much.
1: If you're going to spoil them, you know, yeah. you, it's just one of those things. It's another quality.
0: Yeah, beautiful. A big problem in coastal climates is powdery mildew. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. must have that where you right, are. Right, So how do you deal with powdery mildew?
1: Yeah, we do... Um powdery mildew you know even though I'm on the dry side um, of Waimea we have a wet side of dry side we get we call it powdery mildew weather and it's like this bank of cold wet air that sweeps in it gives us no precipitation that we really need and it's just the mildew and I actually learned from the giant pumpkin growers and that's where I I call it squash solidarity because what it is is like you say oh well they're not growing food but it's like, but they're amazing at growing squash. Yes, they are. They just, their end result, what they're looking for, is different than what we might be looking right. for. And what I learned, you know, I sort of, in my first couple of years, I infiltrated all of these very macho giant <laughs> pumpkin course. consortiums, yeah. and I was great. And I, online, and what I learned is that for them to get optimal. Size to scale up, especially when they're using organic methods. One of the, I don't, uh, one of their, I should say in their methodology, they do different things like maybe grafting two rootstocks together. Oh, fancy. Yeah, into one. Um, They do a lot of pruning. That's where I learned about pruning vines. I learned about grafting vines from them. But something, We will have to do another podcast yeah, about that. Yeah, yes. Fascinating two, stuff. Part two, Anna Peach, part right, two. All right, right. Um, And the third thing that I really learned from them was about how they, to get the vine to root more, in other words, to pull up more nutrients, mm-hmm. what they do is they, some of them bury the vine, like they dig a trench, mm-hmm. and they lay the vine in that trench and then care for it and water it.
0: And it sends down tendrils that turn into root, or you know, what it roots. sends
1: down roots from some of the nodules. Okay. Okay, which means it's going to be pulling up more nutrients. Yes. I got the idea. I thought, okay, here we are in Hawaii, we have a perennial, and even if you don't have a perennial squash plant, it's the whole. You know, life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. Right. Life hands you powdery mildew. What did I do? I decided, okay, let's use that uh, that technique. And you trim off the leaves that have powdery mildew. Mm-hmm. I put them in quarantine immediately. Mm-hmm. I do a, a black plastic, plastic garbage bag, bag, yes. Uh, and I tie it shut and leave it in the field for like three weeks with the sun beating down like on it, and thinking and that die. probably takes care of it. Uh huh. Um, but then what I do is I take that vulnerable vine then that I pruned so heavily. You know, of all of those leaves. And I bury that in a good, rich, you know, add some um, compost. I'm big on, you know, I make fish emulsion. That's a big thing for me. And just care for it as if it's root stock already. Just care for it, add some water to it. Genius. And then what you do is you take a bad situation, which is potentially losing your entire plant, and you turn it into a great situation where it's it's rooting rooting again which mm-hmm. means it's going to take off and be stronger so that's that's a recommendation i have as far as how you can just shape, reshape things mm-hmm. and when powdery mildew hits it hits fast and you have to act fast you know it's not the kind of thing you want to really put off to tomorrow and that's something you just go out there trim away and get it buried into the ground and and it's surprising how fast it'll start rooting
0: I feel like that was your special tip but I'm going to ask you if you have another one oh (laughs) gosh So I'll just throw out, I'm going to sure, ask you one yeah, more question no, but, before we get to the tip. Sure. Um, so we have in here in, well, in California, and I don't know whether it's all over California, but in Southern California, we, in the last two years have suddenly, we have uh, squash beetles. We never yeah. had before the striped, they actually look like cucumber mm-hmm. beetles. They're striped okay. Yeah. and they are causing bacterial wilt. Okay. on our babies and I I've been adding uh beneficial fungi and, and mm-hmm. bacteria to mm-hmm. the soils to combat it but holy cow right do you have that
1: problem where you live we do not have that problem
0: do you have another we, one? <laughs> we
1: have four varieties of fruit flies oh my god we, okay I'm a Mediterranean fruit fly 24 uh-huh. 7 365 we have oriental fruit fly we have melon fly since 1880 um, and then the one I can never remember the name of. <laughs> we have the four, but okay. um, just about really, for me, I think when I'm thinking about what I can offer as a tip, I think it applies to that question. Okay. And it applies to powdery mildew and all. And it's understanding what does well for you, but equally important, what does not do well for you. Understanding your plant at a species level when you're growing squash. mm mm-hmm. Will allow you to do just like I was doing Where I was documenting what did well What didn't do well Um, Be flexible and change Because people grow the same varieties Every year expecting Something different I know with squash beetles Timing is everything And also using like a plant like Daikon as a barrier plant There's all kinds of methods that are out there To use um, That have worked well for people I with the diversity that we have. I mean, this is another excuse to buy seeds, seeds. because it's research, yes. right? It's yes, research. It buy seeds, um, but buy seeds and really know what you're buying. Yeah, you know, understand what species it's in, and. Uh, You know, people think I I just grow it once. I don't grow it once because, like, this year in Hawaii, you've seen everything's cutting loose. Yeah. We have flooding. You have volcanoes erupting. We have flooding. We've we've got another (laughs) tropical storm just hit us. I think yesterday I'm losing track of them. Yeah. We have a lot happening. We got acid rain from, you know, I'm not near the lava, but you still have the effects of it that actually burned, like, spots in the leaves. So I did that. wow. Pruning. Okay. Again, I did that um, when we got acid rain. So when you understand it at a species level, um, you'll see that each of them, it's kind of like, how much are you like your cousin? Right. You are. <laughs> but not really. But not really. Yeah. And squash is very much the same that way. When we think of it as a big family tree, yeah. understand that you may have much better luck with a different cousin. You know what I mean? And the that's other that, side of the family. Not, that came oh, out gosh. weird. okay. We re- <laughs> no, no, no. no that's that a, absolutely not. <laughs> I love it. All right. I uh, love yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that was gold. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, yes, there's that. Um, how do I recover from that? <laughs> so you you uh, recommend research yeah.
0: into yeah. the varieties yeah. that you want to grow right? and, and right. testing a bunch of different types to see mm-hmm. what works mm-hmm. well in your garden. Yeah,
1: and I, I think um, dividing it up, like people, for me, like a big one was, oh, we need to grow spaghetti squash, mm-hmm. spaghetti squash. And I did a very big workaround for spaghetti squash and what I ended up growing where it's like, well, why would I try so hard to grow spaghetti squash why don't I study the family tree of squash, and find a relative that has similar attributes that's mm-hmm. in a different species? I took a very different approach, and now um, I use fig leaf gourd. Do you know fig leaf gourd? I don't know fig leaf. It's way gourd. out there, on the it family is. tree. It's on the gourd side <laughs> yeah. of the family tree, but, but it is pick technically it young, a squash. You can eat it. You young, even when the shell hardens up. Yeah, it's a native of Chile. Wow. Fig leaf gourd, Malabar gourd. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a huge workaround.
0: That is a huge workaround, and it's still stringy on the inside. But it
1: was an easy workaround. Nice. And it allowed me to buy more seeds that, you know, helped every—and turns out that was grown long ago in Hawaii. It was brought in by the Portuguese. Perfect. Who were, you know, the, that were islanders, and I never say it quite right, the Azores, Azores. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Fantastic. So is that, <laughs> is that your tip? That's a great tip. Yes.
0: It's a great tip. Uh, On a side note, or rather, a different stuff. It's still squash. So I, uh, I grew out Styrian hullus pumpkins mm. for pressing for the oil to press the seeds okay. for the oil. Have you ever done that before? No. Okay. So we'll have to. Not are yet. you ever? Do you ever consider maybe experimenting with something like that?
1: You know, I'm going to be heading over to um, like starting and you know, going over to Europe and in Italy, going east from there becomes right you know the, that region that region that is done yeah so uh I've, i'm curious about it because this time i'll be going more in pumpkin season and i'd like to learn about it so I, i'd love to catch up with okay. you in a few months and let's collaborate because i just caught. bought a patiba oil press and Ooh,
0: uh i'm i'm yeah. gonna embark on pressing those seeds, okay. you know for oil so very excited because pumpkin oil, pumpkin oil tastes delicious yes it's so it, good it is wonderful thank you so much for all of those great tips about growing squash and for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast.
1: Oh, it's an honor to be here, Christy. I am so glad that this expo brought us together. Yay, me too. Uh, all right, Garden Nerds, you'll find links to
0: Squash and Off Farm as well as Anna's Facebook page for Squash and Off Farm. She keeps the, that up to date. You'll find that on gardennerd.com this week. And uh, we'll also include a, one of her car repair videos. <laughs> We didn't even talk about that, but that's something that she does. It's very cool, and you'll find that on the website as well. Uh, That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of gardening information at GardenNerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!